What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Moe. Bonjourno. Bonjourno to you as well. How are you this I'm week? doing all right. Excellent. Not too shabby. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And we are here, ready to talk about some great games here on Team Chat Podcast, a weekly show where... Like I said, we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. New episodes come out on Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Central Time, and you can listen to those on podcast services around the World Wide Web, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. You can also watch a video version on YouTube. Check out teamchatpodcast.com slash where to listen to see a complete list of all the places you can find the show. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Team Chat Podcast. And finally, join our Discord server. A lot of fun stuff happens there. And also, a special perk on the Discord is for our patrons, which you can find out more about at patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast if you're really loving and enjoying the show and what we make for you each and every week. You can head over there, check out how you can support the show, and in return, we'll give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before their general Tuesday release and access to a special channel on our Discord server called the Rogues Gallery, where we throw a little extra behind-the-scenes bits, early access to, obviously, the episodes, and any other fun stuff that we produce. It all goes there first. So, check that out if you you don't mind. But thank you to all of our current patrons. We love you all very much. We love you. Okay, everybody, since we're pre-recording this episode, let's jump to our moment with Mogan. All right. So coming off V3, there's not a lot that's out now and coming soon. Uh, the month of June is actually looking pretty light, arguably, to make uh, way for all of the E3 hype. So but in E3 case hype. you missed it, Cadence of Hyrule did just come out uh, for Switch. And I think on Steam, it is the adorable Legend of Zelda themed uh, Crypt of the Necro Dancer expansion, essentially. So pick up Cadence of Hyrule. It's not it's not actually an expansion. It is its own formal game. Um, it's out right now and it looks amazing. And have, sounds even better. Have you been able to play it yet? I know you were like wanting to. Not get yet. It. It's more expensive than I thought. It's actually oh, really? twenty five bucks, so it's oh. not like super duper cheap. Yeah. Uh, and I also really want to get the messenger ahead of its uh, expansion, uh, Picnic Panic, which comes out I think just in July, right? It comes out really soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, not made of money. Unfortunately, there's a lot coming out a little bit later that I'm really exciting about, but for right that I'm really excited about. But for right now, uh, out today on June 18th, I think, uh, we have Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. If that's not about vampires, I'm going to be really mad. Uh, but that's out for PS4, Xbox One, and PC on June 18th. 18th however it also comes to switch on june 25th nice. so well i don't know why it, there's a week's difference there but whatever uh more importantly crash team racing nitro fueled comes up so PS much fun oh yeah it looks like a blast from the past and into your hearts in the future so ps4 xbox one and switch that comes out june 21 uh also on june 21 we have judgment for playstation 4 only uh, there's also The Sinking City. So this is one that was actually announced at E3 for Switch a bit later this year. It's port, but its official release is actually on June 27th, and that's going to be for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. For those of you that don't know, The Sinking City is one of the two uh, more recent games that I know of that are directly themed on the HP uh, Lovecraft mythos. So it looks really cool. If you're looking for a very gothic horror type game, pick up The Sinking City. I actually and just... On, on Sinking City, I actually was watching some uh, more E for the coverage post all the main conferences and everything, and they actually did an interview with with the developer of Sunken City, and he was saying that it's it's actually like legit Lovecraftian canon. Like it's oh, awesome. Okay. Like it's not it's not I even like it's dead, so that's not really true. But right, but I mean, like it it takes the events that happen are constructed around the events so it, that it the builds on his actual mythos. Yes. That's yes. Really cool. Yeah. So I thought you'd be pretty excited about that because of that. Yeah, I actually am. Uh, I actually did not play the previous Cthulhu-themed game that came out. I, I'm i blanking on the name. It came out like yeah. either earlier this year or very late last year. And I just can't seem to remember what it's called. I think it was earlier uh, this year. It's neither here nor there. And then coming out at the end of this month, and this one I know a lot of people are really excited about. I never got into this series, but I'm excited to see it back again. Super Mario Maker 2 is coming to the Switch on June 8th, June 28th to close out the month. Boom. There we have it. All right. Well, let's jump into 
today's topic. It's weird not having the moment with Mogan. It really is. Um, we pre-recorded this episode to fit, just to have as like a backlog, and so this is actually like three weeks in the past, three four weeks in the past from when we actually yeah. it's airing to now. So it's kind of weird to just skip over this because we're gonna. You just saw the moment with Mogan, but we didn't record on this. It's gonna day. be weird if three weeks from now I've developed a terrible heroin addiction <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> and you can clearly visibly see the effect. Leave that in. Don't censor me, bro. <laughs> I just didn't expect that to be where you went. That's what I assumed would be happening three weeks from now. <laughs> oh, so shit. yeah, okay. in uh, three weeks, I look uh, like a walking human skeleton with a problem. You'll know you why. Know why? <laughs> she let us know ahead of Dang. time. <laughs> hope that's not prophetic. <laughs> oh man. Well, hope, yeah. Hopefully Anyways. not. That'd be terrible. But getting on to the main topic of the day, we are here because we had a question submitted by one of our patrons, Brandon who wanted us to talk about specifically games that we wish would have had sequels. So in the terms that it was pitched to us, that we had a bit of internal debate about what actually counted as a sequel. So when I initially read Brandon's question, which let's just pull it up real quick, he says, how about games you want sequels for that will probably never happen? Mm. And then off of the top of my head, I give Metal Gear Rising, Eternal Darkness, Alan Wake, and Vanquish are his examples. Those are his examples. So when we were reading this topic and thinking, wow, that sounds like an awesome choice, I had uh, quite a few that I could think of off the top of my head, um, and I've whittled it down to three main top choices. But we did want to kind of take a bit of a broader approach to this, not just in terms of games that we think might never get a sequel, but ones that even might kind of have a semi-established series, but it ended, and since then there haven't been any more updates, and you're sitting there hoping, man, I really wish that they would make a new installment of XYZ series. Right. Which, to be fair... We're kind of broadened it up because I felt like I needed that for my choices because I was going through and really, really looking through the list of like of all my games that I've gone through. And I was just like, okay, well, all of these are like, these have, these are mostly series. Like they have sequels, like a lot of these favorite games that I had, but I still though, I have one that I thought of when we first talked about this and that it's my number one. So I'm saving that one. Not going to talk about okay, it yet, Okay, but that one is still my strongest one. Like I would flip out if a sequel came for it and then the other two ones i would also be very excited for um but yeah so let's get let's jump into this shall we who wants to begin i want to start real quick with just an honorable mention so all of the three that i ultimately chose are technically asterisk by that which we'll talk about later uh, are technically the only installments in their series as far as i know but the honorable mention is i would kill you Fender, oh no, Henry, oh. Sam, no, at least one of my parents. Okay, uh, to get a sequel. This seems again, fair that the anger then shifted to your family. Yeah, then, aside then it's from my mine. family. Yeah, but you guys are in my immediate strike range. Got it. And then my family comes after that. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, I would kill Bro, to have Logan, a. Run. God, run, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I would kill to have a Portal Three, a formal oh, installment man. Yeah, 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 again because yeah. there's Portal One. Portal Two came out in 2011, I it's think. It's been a while. It's been a gosh darn while, and they did have that like Portal Bridge Builder puzzle game. Yeah, that's right. But it's not really. It's not no, real it was, Portal. And that was it's, mobile. It's, too. it's its own different thing. It's not the same. I would love to have a third formal installment of the Portal series. I don't care if it's been done to death i will take as much additional content as they will give me of portal because i feel like those games are a plus plus masterpieces s plus masterpieces but that's neither here nor there that is technically my honorable mention so i'm going to throw out one in a similar vein just because i know that it's one that is very much in terms of of just like the fandoms and stuff that i hold dear like i would love and my buddy michael and i we talk about this a lot how a third sequel to Knights of the Old Republic. Ooh, so when I was doing a bit of research, none of which made it onto my actual list, and I was coming across, like, you know, top games that never got a sequel, Knights of the Old Republic was one that I saw on many an article. Well, because the games themselves are very well-loved, and sadly ones that I have not spent a whole lot of time in. But obviously the the time, <coughs> which I need to really fix. Like, I have them, I just need to finish them. But it's one of those things, too, that it it's... We haven't had an in-depth Star Wars role-playing game in a very long time. And those games were... They've all been action shooters. Exactly. Or get canceled. Like Star Wars 1313 and some other things. So, you know, that happens. And so, like, we're needing... I'm really needing that. I'm needing that Star Wars role-playing game. And so KOTOR is a great series to do that. 
the only thing that's kind of been to satisfy that is it is heavily hinted or even confirmed really that there will be a Knights of the Old Republic centered movie. So, huh. who I, will it star? I mean, it's years. <laughs> it's years from who happening. Who plays McGonagall? McGonagall. In Harry Potter, who oh, played? Oh my God, what is her name? Why am I blanking on this? Ah, oh, crap! Whoever plays, what is her name? Uh, Minerva okay, well, McGonagall have... in the Harry Potter movies. I I don't care what the movie is for Knights of the Old, Old Republic. I just want her to be like the sensei of the Jedi's. Cool. What are well, they called? A... Masters? Yeah, the Masters. Sure, whatever. <laughs> the Jedi sensei. <laughs> I don't really think about Star Wars. Oh, this is going to be a great episode. But God. yeah, so I think that would be a, 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 a I think that would be a very cool sequel to get. But, so those but are one that I'm not like, mentions. Yeah, but one that I'm not nece- necessarily like chomping at the bit that every day that I don't get Kotor three that I, I'm not like oh, this is a terrible day, you know. So it's just it's just one that like if they announce it, I would be thrilled. Man, every day that goes by without a new portal and a new Animal Crossing for the Switch, those I mean, are you, both days really... that I'm just losing ticks off of my life in well, terms I mean, of damage to my soul. We pre-recorded this, so you might now know when Animal Crossing is. You know, we'll see. This is fun jumping back in time. <laughs> Man, future heroine Mogan, I hope that you're, you're getting this good news <laughs> and that you're able to kick your habit as a result. You need help. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump in then with our third games of our list why don't you kick us off? So my nomination that I would love to see a sequel for, which is honestly probably not justified in the grand scheme of things, I choose Evil Zone for the PlayStation 1. Never heard of this. I, I could swear at least once I think I have talked about Evil Zone on this show. It would have been ages ago. Oh, wait. I can't remember the last time. I know I did, but I don't remember when it was. Just do with my Where's your phone, bro? It's on the right. You're a fool. (laughs) Anyways, while you're doing that, uh, Evil Zone came out in 1999, both in Japan and North America, just a few months apart. It was produced by Yuke. It's either Yuke's or Yuke's future media creators, most currently known, I believe, for their involvement in the WWE games. Okay, so they're still in the realm of fighting games. When did we talk about? Oh, it? it was like. Maybe before episode fifty. It's been a long really? time. Really? Oh, it's been like it's fifty been plus time. episodes since then. So now, oh, yeah, because I remember time. using this image in the cover art. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah Evil right. Zone is the shit, <laughs> and I would love to see another one. So bringing it back around, um, Evil Zone is a. I maybe we didn't talk about this as much in depth last time. Evil Zone is a one-off fighter air quotes game that came out in the late 90s for the PlayStation 1. I still own our original family disc of Evil Zone. It is in my like carefully curated flip folder. Of one like, always, like, yeah, yeah, car. one of those like CD cases yeah. that you kept with like all of your DVDs that you never watch anymore. Evil Zone is still in there. Uh, and the premise of Evil Zone is that you are X amount of available fighters, and your whole goal is to take down the super evil villainess enchantress Ihadoga. And you're in such and such world, I can't remember. Gosh, what do they call it? It's something weird and stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I will make no, um, false claims about this game looking back on it it's really not it's not even really a fighter so the whole thing about uh evil zone is that you play it it's set up like if you were looking at it on screen you'd be like oh this is a fighter game but it kind of isn't kind of isn't because it is a fighter in that it is 1v1 either you versus another person or you versus the ai arcade fighter game However, it wildly deviates from the standard fighter setup in that you only really have two primary attack and defense buttons. Triangle is your everything for attack. Square is exclusively used for guard. It's your guard button. It can also be used if you were like a really good player, air quotes, to cancel out of, I think... If you're falling out of the air and you hit square, you can recover more quickly. And I think you can use square to cancel out of certain movements that you've already started. Mm. I didn't know any of that when I, was, when I was a kid. That's all like news to me. All I know is that you never touch square because true men and women don't guard. You just go at each other like nonstop. Guard, and kicking guard and is for cowards. You don't <laughs> use guard. Uh, so basically it's just triangle in combination with the D-pad. 
So basically, you know, forward, up, down, back, and uh, of course your quarter moves in combination with triangle includes a wild variety of moves for each individual character. Mm -hmm. However, you control each character in the game, and I want to say there are maybe 10 to 12, I think is the realistic number. There's Midori, Kakarin, Setsuna, that guy that looks like a Power Ranger, that that weird Satanist that doesn't wear a shirt. Don't know. This game is full of wild characters. Sounds like it. Lai, Lie, whatever his name is. That's the Satanist. <laughs> I mean, that would make sense. Evil Zone, the name of the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. It's got to have some characters. He's it. actually not from the Evil Zone. That would be... No. I don't remember her name. Gosh, the big bad. That could be anything. You're asking the wrong person. She, <laughs> she, she had mint green hair and that's all, and big wings Ooh. and like two yin and yang symbols that floated around her that could shoot lasers. Well, that seems... If you knew what you were doing. That seems against what the yin yang symbol means. I didn't really use her much. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me. Uh, but the point is that all of the players, basically, you, you use them in exactly the same way, which is one of the caveats to this being a fighter game. You know, in the majority of fire, fighter games, um, you have very specific inputs that you need to activate the move list and the command set for each individual character. Mm -hmm. This game doesn't really work that way. You've got your triangle and your D-pad. And another caveat that kind of alters pretty significantly what moves your character pulls off is that it takes into account to a, to a very large extent both the angle at which you are approaching the other character mm -hmm. and what the other player is doing at the time. Are they falling? Are they charging at you? Are they at neutral? Are they on the ground? Or are they in the air? All of that is taken into account when you are doing your own individual uh, combos and movesets. Speaking of combos, there aren't any. It's really just individual inputs. And based on all of those factors, when I hit triangle... Down left. Mm -hmm. Based on what, where the enemy is, where you are, and what each person is attempting to do at the time, that affects what the outcome is. So this is a game by a significant margin in comparison to every other fighter that I can think of that is at its core a pure button masher. Like, nice. because really, when you do your inputs, the point isn't to get mad combos. It's not even really to have, like, great defense or great mm -hmm. offense. The point is just smash the buttons as much as you can to make cool shit happen. Yeah. And that's the whole point. So when I'm Midori and I do triangle upright, uh, it might kick off like a really cool grab. I actually, grab might be triangle and down. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. But the point is, is that she might then get a totally non-affectable cutscene, like a little mini cutscene within the fight where she gains four additional clones of her and they all surround the enemy and take turns beating them up and then the, uh, the event ends and it's like a grab. Awesome. And it's like, that's a really weird grab to have in a game, but it looks really cool. Yeah. So Evil Zone is a fantastic example of probably not a very good fighter that had style for days. So it was very heavily anime-inspired to the extent that each character, when you're playing the arcade mode for each of them and you're going through their story modes, every time you encounter a new fight, each fight starts with a title card, like Ooh. an episode title card. And That's they're all individualized cool. for each person. They all get like their own style of anime opening. And then it starts with like a brief cutscene dialogue between you and the person you're fighting at the time. And they're all really individual and they're all fascinating. They are in the English dub very, very bad. <laughs> I mean, looking back on them, you're like, wow, this is terrible. But I've heard tell that in the Japanese version, apparently they actually got like big voice, big name voice actors to actually voice the characters. So maybe the Japanese version was better, question mark? Probably. But I have nothing but incredibly fond feelings for Evil Zone. I played it a lot when I was younger. Bro Mogan will remember this game. Um, and if you played every character story arc, you know, f beginning to finish for each of them, you could probably finish the game in five hours, yeah. four to five hours max. But I still don't, I don't remember ever being tired of the combat. Even though it really had very shallow depth to it, 
it's just fun. Mm. It's a fun smash the controller until you until you do cool stuff kind of game. And sometimes you don't want to have to think about your inputs. You don't want to have to think about what the stage is doing. Right. You just want to smash the controller and see what happens. And Evil Zone is the epitome of that. And I would pay valuable cold hard cash to get an evil zone two, where we get more of that very nice i would happily do so man you talking about that reminds me of another <laughs> ps1 fighting game that i like that, that, that there's no way like a i don't see this ever becoming a thing again really that this was was this would be tried but then be like it i don't know it just doesn't seem to fit of what the current outline for star wars games but the the fighting game on ps1 for star wars masters of terrace kasi I think you've talked about that I have, before. like, again, in, like, episode four. Like, it's been yeah, a long time. Yeah, so This long is not ago. one of mine that's on the list, but it's just the same kind of thing. Like, it sounds very much like that. The stages didn't do anything. They You just, just literally... Static. Just Yeah, you just fought. And it was so much fun. I love that game so much. And you I know, love that the solo movie gave it a nod, because Kira Amelia Clark's character mentions that she learned Terrace Kasi, and that's, like, one of the only times it's been actually mentioned or now brought into canon in the new Star Wars. World. Contrary to popular belief, games don't actually have to be good for you to have fun in them. No, <laughs> no, no, they really don't. Not. They, they really don't. shit and you can and still you just have find a that blast one, playing. Exactly, because you still find that one little bit about it that like really clicks with you that and you makes you just it fun. can't get over. Yeah. I remember Midori. She was my favorite character. She has like the tan skin and like this weird spiky, very anime hair and like a cool denim cut off vest. It was a crop sleeveless denim vest Mm -hmm. and like cut off denim shorts. And I was like, Midori, you're the coolest person I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And she had this move. It was like a projectile where I think if it was triangle and up, she would create this glowing magical disc above her and then just fling it at the enemy. And I was like, God. That move right there so is my cool, jam. It's just so cool. And I would just, I would happily have more of that. And I haven't seen a game quite like it since 1999. Dang. 19, 1999. I don't think that's how the song ago. goes, but whatever. <laughs> that's crazy. That is, that's, that, that's a good pick. That's a good solid pick, nostalgic pick. So my th- third one, number three on this list, is an actual, is another series that, in its current iteration, because the series was was not rebooted necessarily, but brought back as Deus Ex, Mankind Divided, the sequel Mankind to... Mankind Divided, really? Yeah, the would, newest one? The newest one, 2016. Like, so, because there was Human Revolution, and then, uh, and then, yeah, Mankind Divided. And then after Mankind Divided, they came out and said, you know what, Deus Ex series is going on hiatus. We have no idea, like, when, if it will be back. It's, so, that's kind of the thing about it. The, it just didn't it actually did like very well critically. Like the game got good scores for. I mean, IGN gave it a nine point two out of ten. Metacritic gave it an eighty four percent. And you, I've talked about both of the games before, so I don't want to totally belabor the point. That was another thing with this is trying to find games that I hadn't talked about already a lot. So the game did really well critically. I mean, IGN gave it a nine point two, and Metacritic gave it an eighty four percent. So it did really well. It just didn't connect with the player base at large, really, as I think is its biggest problem. The thing about that game for me, with similar with what you're saying with Evil Zone, the thing that clicked is I just loved the setting of that. I love the character of Adam Jensen. Adam Jensen is an He's awesome character. He's got some nice sideburns. He does. And those, he does. Those, again, those glasses, the sunglasses that retract into his actual face. Like, yeah. That's really cool. That's and then the very Ghost that come out in of the, the Shell. Arm, it's very cool. It's very Wolverine, but whatever. Uh, but, but still, it's just like the whole setting of that, and I love the your skill progression in that game and how you unlock skills and how you can't unlock everything, so you really have to pick and choose. I loved that system. And the combat is really really fun too because you have the option to be totally stealth or you can go in guns a blazing and i just love all the things that give that many options and the the i don't know just the world and setting of deus ex really clicks with me that well i will say i like human revolution more than mankind divided oh, really i didn't I, know that mankind divided it kind of ended and i was like oh okay but in the credits and post credits like it sets up another scene and it sets up for a sequel so the possibility of it is there but it just, I don't think it did well. It didn't do well enough critically or, or financially. Commercially. Commercially. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, commercially to really warrant another one yet. I can definitely still see it something that they bring back because I think there is enough of a fan base for it. But I think it's it will either come back. No, if they bring it back. 
Who they need the to studio? finish the story. Who's the studio? Square Enix. Square Enix. And okay. EOS Montreal. Squex. Yeah. And so, uh, that doesn't, I hate that word. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, uh, but no, so it's, it's just one of these things is like the, the, if they came back to it, it would have to be as a sequel because if they just said, you know what, we're scrapping it and rebooting, which I guess they could still do, but then they would leave these story threads of the mankind divided and human revolution games left unfinished because it kind of sets up this Illuminati type group really that's okay. behind the scenes running all these things and as you go through the events of the games you start you're uncovering more of this w- bigger conspiracy and worldwide thing that's causing all this tension and unrest in the world and so you you're driving towards that goal and that was kind of the post credit scene in mankind divided sorry spoilers for a three-year-old game but it uh but still is this meeting of the illuminati and they discuss their next moves and so it, and it even i believe has a twist reveal of somebody in the game and you're like oh that good-looking news reporter whose fashions are on point? No. Oh. I don't think it's her, but you kind of already know, I think, that she's involved. in Bummer. some. Extent. But I also think she's just AI. Well, even if she's AI, yeah. her outfits are great. <laughs> they, they programmed her in some great outfits. Oh, yeah, for sure. So anyway, so that one is just one that I think, again, it's not one that... No, it is one. It is one that I would actually be very excited if they announced a new sequel for. And I would be all on board with and tracking down, keeping the news, and finding out when it was coming. Maybe that'll just... be one of the like out of left field reveals that we're going to see from E3. I know. This is the kind of the, fun, the funny thing about doing this, talking about unannounced sequels. Yeah. Because this could all, we could record this episode now, two days from now, all when, when six E3 of our kicks choices. off. All these games are coming back, and we and this episode is for not. I guarantee you, Evil Zone is not getting a sequel ever. But aren't you gonna flip out? Oh my god! If it did, I'd be like, the gods have smiled upon me. That would be a crazy spark. That I would mean, be crazy. I mean, Square. I mean, they're they're done. They wrapped up Tomb Raider. They just they just released Just Cause Four. I mean, just as in within the last year, year and a half. So I mean. The potential timing could be right that it, they could announce it. They also they're also done with Kingdom Hearts three came out earlier this year, so they've got potentially. I mean, I know they're also working on eventually releasing the Final Fantasy seven. So reboot, I was about to say they're probably but, putting all of their physical man and woman power into Final Fantasy seven remake. Yeah. So, so it, it still seems like it's probably won't happen, but I mean that would be a very fun surprise. It would be nice, and that's what this episode is about: exactly. wild conjecture exactly. and hopes that games we loved will eventually see a revival. Even though we know they probably never will. Well, yeah. yours is more likely than mine, I would say. For, for our first picks. But for what about your picks. second pick? So my second pick is one that I genuinely think still might someday, maybe, I really hope, get a second installment. It's a game that I've talked about before. I think I've talked about it on the on one of our soundtrack episodes. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can oh, man, guess which, it? Speaking of, we need to go back to we that. We need to do another soundtrack it's been a while. for sure. Uh, but this is a game that I've definitely talked about before. I love it, love it, love it. We've talked about the soundtrack at the very least. It features a very. Yeah, you have to give me more. It features than this. a very whimsical setting. There's okay. a lot of rhyming. It's from a big name publisher that happens to have a branch in French Canada. Like they all do. Everybody's no, you don't like know Montreal. that. Not French Canada. Some of them are in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, I'm drawing a blank. Child of Light. Oh! By Ubisoft Montreal. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Child of Light came out back in God knows when. I actually don't remember. Uh, but 2013, 2014, <laughs> 2013 or 14, that sounds about right. Uh, but up until very recently, there was vague talk. And you actually mentioned this when we were planning That's for right, this we episode. Talked about this we talked about this. <laughs> Jared, come on. <clears throat> The point being that there was talk that maybe eventually it would get a, a true sequel, a true sequel, excuse me. But more recently, I think back in early May of 2019, the creative director for The First Child of Light, Patrick Plord, did a couple of interviews where he basically confirmed that Child of Light, to his knowledge, Child of Light 2 is not in development, and as far as he knows... It probably never will be. Uh, His opinion on that is that it seems very unlikely. So some of the reasons that he gives is that... um, Stall for me real quick. Okay, here we go. So one of the examples that he gives is, speaking to VGC, director Patrick Plord confirmed, I don't know if there's a Child of Light 2 that is in production. Ubisoft is big, but but I'm not working on it right now. I don't think there's a Child of Light 2 being produced. 
I'm not holding my breath. And some of the reasons that he gave for that were primarily that even though Child of Light was arguably a commercial success based mm-hmm. on how small of a game it is, it's not the type of game that Ubisoft is looking to put a bunch of manpower into at this time. They're looking at much more games as a service, right? whereas Child of Light and games like it, they're one-offs. They're singular, single-player campaigns that once you play it, it's over unless you choose as a player to go back and replay it again, which I have done. Mm -hmm. I think Child of Light is one of the best, not best, well, it's one of the more notable versions of like a weirdly styled RPG that I've ever played. So you play as... Girl whose name I can't remember. It's not Rose, is it? Or we'll is that... call her Adelaide. I'm already I'm on the I can't recall. Uh, I'm look look, I'm look it up for me. I forget the details. She's got red hair and a really cute dress. That's all you need to know. Aurora. Aurora. I was so close. <laughs> so you play Did as... Did you even guess a name? I guessed Adelaide. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had the A right. Shut up. <laughs> so you play as Aurora. And the whole start of the game is that Aurora's father, I think, and her step-siblings are like not being cool to her in real life. It's very Cinderella-esque. And then I think the start of the game kind of implies that maybe, maybe not, Aurora might be dead because you wake up on like a slab in what appears to be not necessarily the underworld, but like clearly a mythological kind of looking landscape. And when you wake up, you just have the ability to walk around. You have what appears to be a little crown on, whether or not it is a real crown or a toy crown isn't really made clear. And you appear to be wearing a nightgown. And you are very much a child. I mean, you are maybe 10 to 12 when the game opens. That might even be pushing it. You might be like nine, Mm -hmm. eight or nine. Uh, And when you start the quest, you are basically on the hunt to right the wrongs that are happening in the world of blank. Don't remember what the world is called. We'll call it Storybookatopia because it's very storybook-esque. And all of the dialogue in the game is told in very much like these Mother Goose-style rhymes. Everything rhymes. All of the dialogue between characters rhymes. It's very sing-song-esque. And all of the characters that you meet look like they could have come from Aesop's Fables, for example. Uh, one of the best characters that I ever got in my party is Fencing Mouse. Don't remember his name, but he was awesome. So I thought this game, because this is one I haven't played, but I thought this was like a side-scrolling platformer. So it looks like a side-scrolling platformer. Okay. Very good question. Sorry, viewers that aren't viewing the uh, video recording. I was taking a sip, hence that pause. I wasn't confused. Uh, So it looks like a side-scrolling platformer, and in a lot of ways it does kind of play like one because the plane is 2D. You eventually gain the ability to fly, spoiler alert, so you can then traverse the um, vertical and flat map a little bit more easily. But ultimately it is an RPG, and that is because you gain party members, and your primary method of progressing through the game takes place in turn-based battle. Now, the turn-based battle combat in Child of Light is something I hadn't at that point in time encountered before. It's this time-based system where, like, there's a meter at the bottom, a Bravely Octopath. What's that game called? Octopath Traveler. Traveler. (laughs) Actually did a very similar thing where each character in the fight has their own speed factor, like their own speed stat, which affects how soon they get to attack in the game. And Child of Light kind of uses the same system where you're both on this meter and each of your character icons progresses at a certain given speed unless you do something to affect your speed stat. So when you get to blank and you get to finally attack, somebody else may have been able to attack before you Mm -hmm. or they might be attacking after you and you can clearly see that on the meter. So you have to very much plan your moves accordingly based on, okay, I know that I'm going to be able to attack before this enemy, but not before this one. So who am I going to attack? What am I going to use to attack them? Or do I choose to defend? Do I need to heal? Do I need to use defensive spells? Do I need to use haste to Mm -hmm. up my speed? It very much is a turn-based RPG battle system. And it's done very well. It's very simple, but it's done in a very graceful and very user-friendly manner. This is a game that anybody could could pick up having little to no experience with turn-based RPGs. One of the other key components of it that is very RPG is that you collect um, experience points that you can then apply to each individual character's own 
uh, tree, like their, um, what do you call it? An XP tree. Skill tree and Skill stuff. tree, that's what you call it. Uh, each individual character has their own skill tree with different branches that you can pursue based on how many points you have. So you can, for example, with Fencing Mouse, again, don't remember his name, hopefully it's Fencing Mouse, you can up his attack to be really, really high, but his defense sucks and he's got no magic. But then you've got Nora, your stepsister who betrays you. Spoiler alert? <sighs> Sorry. And she's really good at magic. So depending on the characters that you pick up in your party, you can swap them out at will, just kind of throughout the game, and you can choose to up their XP trees to your liking. Uh, You also have an interesting crystal system that you can use to augment some of your abilities, and it's just fantastically done. Again, it's a more simplistic game. It's not very long. I think I probably played it over the course of... Two to three weeks, I want to say. It's not a super short game. I'm sure you could play it in a small amount of time if you really wanted to, but it's a great game to play when you're looking for an RPG that maybe isn't as time-intensive as Final Fantasy XV, for example. Mm -hmm. It's a really good middle ground, and I would have loved to have seen a sequel to it because when Child of Light 1 ends, and this is not super spoiler-heavy, you basically get a very short very ambiguous cutscene at the very end of the game that implies that someone you kind of assumed was dead actually isn't. Mm. She's still out there, and you're like, wait a second, what does that mean? Also, Aurora has grown up to be a a very young adult woman by then. She's taken over her role as new queen-slash-princess of the realm of Storybooklandia, whatever I decided to call it. And it set the stage fantastically for a sequel. So I wouldn't say that Child of Light ended on a cliffhanger. It really doesn't. It ends with a bit of a mystery. It really is a fairly well-wrapped-up story. But the reason that I think it deserves a sequel is that it just laid the foundation of what arguably has endless potential to become more games. And I really wish that they would do a Child of Light to Ubisoft, Montreal, French Canada. I'm begging you. What's French for please? I don't remember. <laughs> I feel like that's something we should know. Merci beaucoup. That's thank you. Oh, okay. I know, right? We suck. I know. Anyways. I'm not, I, I did, I'm, small language is not my strong suit. Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, sorry that we're so bad at French. Also, could you please make us that Child of Light 2 game that we really, really because wish would happen? Because that's interesting, being that they do set it up so much, leading like the sequel it could be a thing. And the game did well. Like, it's another highly rated game. It's a classic. People look look back on Child of Light as being a wonderfully beloved classic. It's a good game. Both critically and commercially, it's a good game. Yeah. And the fact that it's, by Patrick Plourd's opinion, being held back by the fact that it's not the market direction that Ubisoft wants to go, if that's the only thing holding it back, please, Ubisoft, I'm begging you, just... Throw your market projections to the side just this once and make Child of Light 2. The people want it. Just give the people what they want. So maybe because, like, by now, by post E3, well, this will have been confirmed, but one of the big rumors going in is that Ubisoft is going to be releasing their own subscription service. Maybe to take play to focus, be able to focus on games as a service and all this stuff because i still hold ubisoft does it does the games as a service model very well between rainbow six siege and for honor both those games are very good examples i feel like and of game of games as a service done really well so if they do move to that kind of model so they're getting the subscription money basically to help fund these games and maybe they can start turning their attention back to these smaller games like that because they also did ubisoft also did valiant hearts Great War. So actually, Child so of Light be... and Valiant Hearts were both the product of the same investment strategy. So back in like whatever late 2010s, uh, uh, wherever that production timeline is, uh, the same initiative. What was it called? Like Ubisoft Indies or Ubisoft Originals? Ubisoft yep. Originals. Yep. Yep. I think that's what it was called. It was like this big push to pump more funding money into Indies and Child of Light, Valiant Hearts, and I think at least one other fairly well-known game were all products of that initiative. And that is desperately what I think Ubisoft needs to at least extend a little bit of funding towards because those are the kinds of games that both you and I get a lot of get a, a lot game. of personal value out of. Those are both really good games and Child of Light 2, I would just love to see another installment of that series. Cannot stress that enough. 
Very cool. Plus, that um, the soundtrack was amazing. Soundtrack was really, really. She good. has a very French name that I know I cannot pronounce. It's like Corps de Pirate. Yeah, it's Corps. It's like Corps de Pirate. It, the the it translation like... is Heart of Pirate. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it in French. Sorry, Sorry. <laughs> but we, the our uh, Canadian listeners. Please let us know. Our French Canadian listeners, listeners, specifically. Also our bad. Or just French listeners. Yeah. I know we've probably got a couple. Anyways, so that's my second nomination is Child of Light. It absolutely deserves a sequel. So my second choice of one that I think deserves a sequel is Pyre from Supergiant Games. Mm. My original thought was Bastion. Bastion needs a sequel. But I was like, I've talked about Bastion enough. Let's move on to one of their other games. The other game of theirs that I really love, Pyre. Let's give Pyre some love again. This game, I really loved Pyre because it was a fantasy RPG-esque but it also blended it with almost sports, really. Yeah, it's like, like a weird sport game. Yeah, it really is. But not is, really? But not of? really, which <laughs> made, I think is what made it really fun to me and click really well. Because like, the only sports game I mess with at all, and I haven't touched it in probably a year, is FIFA. But outside of that, I don't really play any sport video games. So this one was like perfect, though, because it's soccer-esque. It's like Rocket League. Ro- like Rocket League, which is also a very fun <laughs> game. But... This one really did also have a very fun setting, had a very fun story, and it had a lot of lore built into it. There was tons of stuff that you could read and pages into these journals and notes that you can discover that really build out and flesh out the world of Pyre. Not to mention, too, it also has that very, very beautiful watercolor art style that Supergiant is known for. It is such a pretty game. Very like pretty Their game. color scheme is really eye-catching. Mm-hmm. That really heavy em- emphasis on like deep blood reds and like very bright Vibrant sapphire blues. And stuff like that, yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah, very, very well made and very well done game. And so that's why I think it needs one. I think returning to the the rights are the game, the game style. That's where like the real gameplay really takes place is because you have to compete in these rights. Basically, you're this you're a group of exiled people. You've been exiled from the Commonwealth, which is just this land and that is slightly dictator esque. It kind of seems like it just has or it just is very controlling and very overruling overall. And it's kind of one of those things you mess up, you get exiled and you get sent down. In so this, they're not this prisoners. Wasteland. They're just exiles. Right. But you can be granted back into the Commonwealth because the Commonwealth actually seems like a fairly religiously based society. Oh, no. In terms you. that you have to do these rites and you have to like wait for these for the stars to align and all these different things and meet in these specific locations guided by these celestial signs to find these places where you can conduct these rites and you will face against other teams. And basically if you conduct enough rites and win enough rites, you will be able to return to the Commonwealth. And so that's the whole point of this is trying to get your, your party because you go through the way, the wastelands and you meet other people who join your party, which then you can start using them and the rights. And when you get to these rights, it's three characters that you can bring from your party and each one will have, you know, different skills and abilities that they can use. Some will be fast. Some will be normal speed. Some will be pretty slow. Some can activate some special abilities because you have this aura that surrounds your character. And if an enemy runs into that, or it gets depleted because you can use it and like cast it and shoot it at at your opponent's team. And if it hits them, it dispels them from the arena for a short while until they return. And so it's all these different things. And you're basically trying to pass these orbs from that will come down into the middle of the field. And then you each run at it, try to get it. And then it kind of becomes a game of keep away at that point, really. And you just can pass it. You can throw it to other directions. You can sprint and dodge and roll and jump in the air and all these things to, a, to a dodge enemy attacks and enemy players. And you're trying to get it into the other team's pyre. Their the goal. Of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, that just is, I remember the first time I played this, I've actually played this at RTX. I think the very first time. Yeah. RTX 2015, I think. And I just remembered sitting there playing it. Like I just remembered from, I had loved Bastion. So I was like, I'm going to try super. I'm going to try this new game of theirs. And I loved it. And it was immediately hooked to it. And it's in the same way, because there's apparently in the story and the lore of the game that you, that you read and up on, you know, that, and from talking to the other characters in your party, you know, there's a war going on. There's wars going on in the Commonwealth between these other factions. Like I'm completely forgetting their name now, but a a more of like a bird type people. Huh. So there's wars going on between there. That's how some of your your party members are got to the wasteland. They either were did something wrong in war or they were deserters, different things like that. 
And so, but it still tells like there's something going on. You're trying to get back because you're trying to overthrow the rulers of the Commonwealth. Is kind of what kind of boils down. So to. So you're not trying to get back in because you're like a scrub. Right. You're trying to get, you're trying back, to get back, in back in so that you can you're... subvert the man. Exactly. That's very pretty cool. much because you're because one of the characters you meet has contacts still over in the Commonwealth, and all your characters are still connected Moles. to people in the Commonwealth gotcha. that you know that once you get back there, you can team up with them and go for this larger goal of trying to overthrow the Commonwealth. But the but. Spoiler-esque, but this ties into why this game deserves a sequel. The game ends with your characters, with the characters that you're able to get back to the Commonwealth, getting back to the Commonwealth, but you don't go any farther. You don't. That's the perfect setup for exactly. a sequel. Exactly. Oh my god! If you could take this now, granted, they'd have to figure it out because if you're not conducting these rites in the wasteland, that does alter one of the the very key component of this game, but I'm sure they could still figure out a way to like manipulate it or even still, you could still make a case for how the pirates, could, the rights could still be exercised right. even in the Commonwealth. And so that would be awesome to return to that world and to get another story in there and actually take it on in the war against the Commonwealth and trying to subvert the Commonwealth. But the only reason why I think this might not happen is because a Supergiant is a, is a smaller developer. Last time I know of, they only had like 12, 15 people on in the whole company. Aren't they currently working on and or about to launch that game where you're like in Hades? Mm -hmm. You're like the sun. It's of called Hades. Hades. Yeah. There we go. Uh, okay. Yeah, cool. So that one's actually they're still developing that one, but it has early access, like early release access that you can actually download and play right now through the Epic Game Store that on game PC looks only. It does, and I want to play. Oh my god, I have a PC you now. I can PC play. Now, oh my Jared. god. Oh my I'm god. so excited. <laughs> Uh, so I need to buy that. Uh, but anyway, so they're working on Hades right now. So they won't do anything until Hades is done. Now, granted, they could be having things going on in the background. But also, they haven't done a sequel for any of the other games yet. Yeah. Bastion, Transistor, They don't seem like sequel so, studio. Exactly. So if they do, it's going to be a long time. But still, Power's a fantastic game. And it is a great game And with that kind of setup, for the love of, I don't know, Pyres, why wouldn't they? <laughs> exactly. It's a great game. And I think it was actually just on sale not too long ago. And it's a pretty cheap game. I think it was like $20, $25 at, at the get-go anyway. Great game. Recommend everybody plays it. Supergiant does outstanding. Yeah, work. supports a fantastic studio. Yes. Buy it with real money. Don't pirate it. That's true. Don't pirate kids. It's, a it's not a victimless crime. <laughs> <laughs> like those PSAs are always telling exactly. us. Exactly. All right, so let's bring it on home then to our number one games. What is your number one game that you wish above all else you could have a sequel for? Guess. You oh, know it. God. Oh, Legend of Dragoon? It's a Legend of Dragoon! Yes! Yeah! First guess because you know how much I want it. That has been a game you've talked about literally so, since episode one of this show. Literally since episode one. It's been that long. So it's been a while since I got to talk about this game, though. And so this one made it onto my notes as Legend of Dragoon parentheses sort of. Because what I don't actually want is a formal sequel. I want a prequel. So if anybody had like newer listeners to the show, if you haven't gone back and listened to some of our older episodes, uh, The Legend of Dragoon is one of my favorite JRPGs of all time. Despite what people may tell you, I think it holds up great, even now. Uh, it came out in Japan in 1999, came out in the US in 2000. Its chief competition around that same time, PS1 era, was, you guessed it, Final Fantasy VII. So unfortunately, it got pretty bowled over in the commercial scene by uh, FF7. But it holds its own. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it uses a different enough combat system and has enough of its own unique characterization, its own story, that I find it still to be a really engaging game. It covered a grand total of four discs, by the way. I don't know if Final Fantasy VII had four, but it did, so haha. -ha. And actually, part of that was because originally they hadn't planned to pump that much um, manpower and development into the CGI cutscenes, but they were like, man, we gotta be able to differentiate this from other games in the scene. We've gotta go big, go big or go home with these CGI cutscenes, and those cutscenes are why there's four discs. That's literally why, because they're they were so like, impressive. back in in the late 1990s slash early 2000s, they didn't have enough space to be able to condense them down any more than but that. But I loved that, though, when old games had multiple discs. And I loved... I love it, too. I loved that Red Dead Redemption 2 had multiple install discs. It's such a good feeling. Even though I'm it's never like, going to touch that second disc again, unless I'm installing it again. <laughs> 
it's still though. I just love that. Like ah, it's just this tone. Yeah, it, it makes massive you feel like that you're handling have. something that is somehow more substantial than all of the other games that you have. It's such a good tactile feeling to be able to oh, open yeah. up your multi-case game and be like, look at my four discs of Flip content. Gosh, oh, and it had mm. a really good booklet to go with yes. it. Oh, the booklet was amazing. Uh, originally, fun fact, the character of Rose, a.k.a. my favorite female character of any game of all time. I, see, I guessed Rose from Child of Light. Man. You did. I knew. Oh, I was on, you were I, on I just, the right was on, track. I was on the right track. Just wrong uh, game. Rose originally had horrendous lime green hair in her oh. character design. Thank God they changed it. They were like, no, she's the black dragoon. She needs to have jet black hair and a cool black outfit. And I was like, oh, thank God so uh to summarize the story um basically you are dart as the protagonist you are unfortunately unchangeable in the context of the game you can't swap him out of your party which sucks because he's the red character and everybody knows that the fire elemental is the worst one but that's neither here nor there so along the way you are basically battling through four discs of geopolitical and even extraterrestrial uh, conflict because uh, 10,000 years ago, there was this race called the Winglies. They were basically like kind of warped uh, angels, you might even call them. And they had enslaved humanity to do their bidding. And then humanity was like, man, being slaves kind of blows. So they teamed up with dragons, actual awesome dragons, but like with weird JRPG designs. And they were like, yo, dragons, if you help us beat up these Winglies... Will help you, I guess. So they did. So humans uh, teamed up with the dragons. They defeated the Winglies in this epic battle. And at that time, 10,000 plus years ago, the original Dragoon team was made up of, I think it's like seven to eight characters, all representing their own unique Dragoon. But that original team all got killed as part of the Wingly War. The first Dragoon campaign, that's what they call it. They call it the original Dragoon campaign. Uh, so your original Dragoons all were killed as part of the original Dragoon campaign. So flash forward 10,000 years, you've got the actual conflict of the Legend of Dragoon, which is, in essence, a very belated continuation of that same campaign. I want to play in my own hands the original Dragoon campaign. I want them to make that game. I want them to make The Legend of Dragoon, the Dragoon campaign. I want you to be able to play as Shirley as your number one character because she's the first Dragoon you encounter in Legend of Dragoon. She's dead. She's a ghost. She's awesome. I want you to be able to play as her because she's the white Dragoon and you never get to be the white healer character, but she's awesome. She's a badass. And I want you to be able to play out their entire story all the way to each of their individual deaths with the exception of Rose and Zeke, because technically they make it over into the Legend of Dragoon, sort of. Rose does, Zeke kind of not really. Uh, And I want that to be something that you can actually do. I want you to be able to play as every character in your party until one by one they get killed off in the war, and then it's just you as Shirley, and then you die, and then Rose and Zeke disperse, and it's left on a, air quotes, cliffhanger, because obviously it leads into the Legend of Dragoon. That is my ideal scenario. That would honestly, so not so much a sequel as a prequel. <laughs> a prequel. I want a prequel. That'd that's be pretty. That's I mean, why it's technically a good both. Twist, a, yeah. But no. <gasps> but no. I agree. Getting the second game in the series, but if it takes place before these events that you've already experienced, that would be a very, 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 very fun game. I attempted to verify this while we were talking. I wasn't actually able to do so. I had heard, and this is conjecture at this point because I have no proof to be able to back me up. I had heard that there actually was a formal sequel of the Legend of Dragoon that only came out in Japan, where you played as Shauna and Dart's son. Now, I've, that sounds familiar to me, it too. It sounds familiar. I thought that there was one. I just couldn't find it when I was doing a search. So there may have been, question mark, a sequel that only came out uh, in the East, but that's not even the game that I want. I don't want to play as Shauna and Dart's son. That kid would suck. Those are the two worst characters of The Legend of Dragoon. I want to be able to play as the OG Dragoons in the Dragoon campaign. I want to kill Winglies and those like weird white alien things. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what they're called. They're like, it starts with a V. Anyways, they're really creepy, and I want to be able to murder those guys as I myself go down in flames. The flames of fiery death and glory. That's what I want out of the Legend of Dragoon prequel. So can I 
somewhat crush your soul a little? Sure. IGN article from April 11th, 2012. 2012? Sony reveals canceled Legend of Dragoon sequel. Yeah, I know. I know it's never going to happen. I know that there's (laughs) no way. I just didn't know if you knew that there was even a chance that one was coming. No, I know there's no chance. That game is never getting a sequel, as far as I know, not counting the Japan sequel, maybe. And it is never getting a prequel. It is just a game that I desperately want. Again, I would kill you. I would kill Sam. (laughs) I just hate that I'm always the first on this list. You're the first one. (laughs) Cannot stress this enough. I would murder for The Legend of Dragoon, the Dragoon campaign prequel. Nice. Yeah. It's intense. It's very, my feelings are very (laughs) intense, Jared. Your life is in constant danger. Oh, God. God, just adds stress to my days. Well, my number one game is another one, though. I don't have quite the same level of passion for it as Legend then of Dragoon. Then why are you going last? <laughs> that is a very good question. We should have ended on Legend of Dragoon. We but should still. switch it up and fix it in post. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> but so my number one is a game that, it's another recent game, but it's one that stuck with me really, really hard. And it's one that I just like, even though the potential for sequels out there, I just don't ever really see it happening. It's recent. How recent? 2015. 15. I know it's not The Last of Us. Because that one's getting a sequel. That one's getting a sequel. That's the, that was the other problem with doing, when I was thinking for this. is like, well, The Last of Us would have been the only game that I was kind of and wanting Red a sequel. And Red Dead. Both of those that you like, they both God got God of War sequels. 3. Got God of War. So it's like, uh, well, what do I do here? So any any hints? It was G- not, give me a hint. Okay, well, it was not re- really well received. I mean, well, it was critically well received. Again, not commercially. Oh, I know what you're going to say. We talked about it in before. About it yeah. Before. So I, I know what it is. So you want to head and say the it. Order 1886. Everyone just assume I was right. <laughs> you were. Yeah, you I were right. <laughs> I know you were. But this game, and I know I've talked about it before. On It's been a very long time since I've talked about this game. So I feel like I could bring it back. I feel like this is another game that I think you talked about in the very early days. It was days very early. Well, I mean, it would have just come out. We started Team Chat in 2015. Oh my god. But this so it came out in February 2015. And the one thing about this one, you talked earlier again about the thing that just made it click. This one, it was the setting. I loved the setting of this game and the the blending of history and real history with fantasy and like mythological creatures. It that one guy great. had a sweet mustache. And they all did. They all had sweet they mustaches. They all had sweet mustaches. <laughs> Even Lady Agree. No. <laughs> but, that would be fantastic. So basically, Order 1886 takes place in 1886 London during the Industrial Revolution. But it's a little twist on history because there has been this age-old war happening between humans and creatures. Specifically lichens and vampires. Gosh, I love that kind of stuff too. Right? I am such a sucker for like old timey Victorian werewolf v vampire right? v human stuff. It's great. It's fantastic. That's why the Underworld movies are awesome. They're really good. <laughs> I love the Underworld movies. I do too. They're awesome. <laughs> so, do you remember one of the first movies that I saw with uh, a really good childhood friend was Hugh Jackman in that? Oh, um, Van Helsing. Yeah, Van Helsing. Yeah. That was such a good love movie, that movie too. too. God, it's those are good movies. It's great movies. And so immediately. <laughs> But the whole thing is, is that this old war has been going on for years, hundreds and hundreds of years. The only re- and in fact, in the history in this timeline, the these President creatures. President George Washington, now a vampire. <laughs> no, that's God, Abraham that Lincoln so vampire. Funny. But, but still, it's so this this war had been going on, and it looked like these creatures, and they bred, they began breeding with humans and all this, and creating these. They call them half breeds in the game of these human creature or hybrids and they were starting to win until king arthur and his knights of the round table oh my god really were able to, to turn the tide and because they were able to discover this substance called black water that basically grants them long incredibly long life and fast oh, healing that's how king arthur still be around so king arthur himself isn't in the game isn't he like a 1200s person or even before i mean technically god, he was a, he fought arthur the romans is- yeah. So, like, he's, he's like, pre- like 900 <laughs> AD. Yeah. And so, anyway, but the thing is, you're still playing as the Knights of the Round Table. You play as Sir Galahad. Oh, that's really cool. Right? I like that a lot. Right? I've forgotten everything about this game, so <sighs> all of this feels new to me. <laughs> I, I was reading back up on it and going back over some of the things, and it's just, and it just all came back. Gosh, why won't people name their sons Galahad? That's such oh, a cool that's name. Really cool. Gawain? 
Those are cool names. Lancelot's a lame name. Yeah. There's a Lance Definitely not the coolest. But anyways, Gawain and Cal- <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Lance Bats. Lance Bats. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, sets this up. So this war is still going on. But the thing is, the Industrial Revolution hit, and the additional change to history that they did is that the Industrial Revolution even surpassed what it did in, our, in real history. Oh, okay. So like at this point... Nikola Tesla is a character and is involved in the game too. So you actually have like awesome. Tesla coil guns that so, shoot electricity. So cool. You have there are like zeppelins and airbones going around. They even have like thermal imaging kind of stuff going on, wireless communication, like all this different stuff. So you have like your Sir Galahad in like eighteen hundreds London clothing garb, but he's got like a, a radio walkie talkie on him and all this stuff. And awesome. these ridiculously <laughs> cool weapons. Now the thing about this game and why it was somewhat panned, really, is because even though it was, and, and this is the other selling point on this game, it's beautiful. Like, even for an earlier game in the PS4's life cycle, this game is extraordinarily well done. The animations are crisp and clean. Character, even facial animations are excellent. The Those voice mustaches. acting. Again, <laughs> yeah, they're excellent. The voice acting is outstanding as well. And music great by Jason Graves. The Knight's theme is so good and it's just really and then even just the dreary world that they've created in london still even though it's dreary and, and and dark it still has that really great feel to it so i just loved all the production things about it but the whole, the thing of why it got panned is it did it is a very short game like i beat it it's the one game that i stayed up i started playing it like eight o'clock at night or something i stayed up to like three in the morning playing and then i was like okay finally i have to go to bed and I woke up and beat the game in like another two hours. So it's like so maybe a, eight a, to 10. Yeah. 12. Maybe if you really, really mess around looking the, for collectibles and stuff, the older I get, the more that is my ideal amount of time spent in a game is like that eight to 15 hour. Window. So I agree. You put, start pouring, pouring on too many of these job, games that are like man. 30 plus hours. Yeah. Same. Like that's hard for me to get into. That's why it's taking me forever to play Red Dead. Yeah. But, but, um, but anyway, so it's like those games are great. And that's those like open world, big games like that are obviously are like my favorite, but yes, I need these smaller bite sized games too. And that's where I think for me, order 1886 really shines is because it was such a well-made and well-delivered package. There are some complaints of the story, but I think oh too, but I personally love the story really connected with it too. And it's it's one that I really don't want to go into the story details because the especially as you get into the ending of it, there are some twists and things like that. And if you haven't experienced the game, it's one that I'm like, I can't like you need to experience it for yourself kind of thing. You can't bear to spoil it. I can't. Nice. I really can't because I just really loved how it went. And again, it's the ending of that game sets it up for a potential sequel. The creators have hinted that they would love to see a sequel come back, but because the but what I think was the big thing and what really hurt this game in the end, I think was the shortness of it, oh. because even though yes, it was incredibly well made, had all these all the great things that are already described, you still paid sixty dollars retail for a ten what to twelve probably hour should game. have originally been a thirty dollar game yeah that can definitely I mean if you feel like you're not getting what you paid for, I can very much identify with that feeling and it didn't have multiplayer. So it was single player only, which again, that's not, that's not like having multiplayer isn't a requirement. This game though could have actually had a pretty decent one due to the fact that it's combat style is very, the, the fighting style is very similar to gears of war. It's very much a cover based third person shooter game. So you could potentially set up some good multiplayer matches, but instead they chose to focus on building out the story, which again, I applaud don't have to have multiplayer for it to be a good game. But I think that is really what kind of hit is that people bought this Look, we're super excited for it, then played through it so quick, and then they were like, oh, wait. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Because it is also a very story-heavy game. I will give that the that the replayability of it is fairly low. I'm going to replay it again because I have to get, like, two trophies and I platinum. It has now been four years, bruh. I know. It's time. I know. It's time to replay it. Uh, maybe I will for, like, our, or uh, I'll revisit it at some point. Whatever. <laughs> I'll get to it. But it's one that I want to go back to Platinum because I only need, like, two. But that's why I want to do it. I want to go back to Platinum it because I'm that close. It's not necessarily because I feel like I need to have the story again because I know all these big story moments. And, again, why I don't want to necessarily spoil them. Once you know them, you know them. Just like with any movie. It is a very much – this is the one that I know we've gotten into conversations before. It is a very cinematic game. You do have a lot of cutscenes. A lot of events that take place are quick time events. You do also have 
actual like gunplay and fighting and all that stuff, but it is very much a cover linear based movement system in that. It's not like you're running around all willy nilly going crazy on people like in Call of Duty or different like things like Link that. Like Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're jumping from cover to cover. You're very condensed in where you're supposed to go. It's very obvious where you're supposed to go. And so I understand then that if you paid $60 for this game at the beginning, played it and then you were done in 10 hours and then that was pretty much it. Yeah. I would. I can understand how people be getting yeah. upset, and I feel like that news started to spread and really started to get into the gamer base, and I think that's why it didn't do and as well. And it just hurt the game. Yeah, and it gotcha. did. To be completely honest, I didn't pay sixty dollars for the game. Of I bought it not. on sale later on because, yeah, of course, <laughs> um, and everything. And I think, but not because I'd even heard that. I just think I had other things playing. I was playing at the time and just didn't have a chance to. And I play and I got it like later the next year or early twenty sixteen, maybe or even later twenty fifteen. I can't remember, but. Before I played it. And so because of that, I don't think my viewpoint on the game was tarnished by being like, oh, I paid so much money and I only got this much out of it. I still though think that I probably still would have loved it. Like it's really is just to me clicked with me that it's much just right up your alley really is right up my alley because it ties into not only Tesla, like there's Jack the Ripper stuff being thrown in there also. Wasn't he pre that time period? It, it happened. I think like the main events in this game, it, it like the main attacks of Jack the Ripper had happened like two years before, but he's still oh, like okay. this menace because I mean, obviously still no one knew who he was or what that was all it about. It was me. Yeah, oh God. You've been drinking the black water. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the order 1886 Maybe my prayers were answered at... Oh, wait, no, they won't be because it was a PS4 exclusive, Sony exclusive, Sony's not an E3. So that dream won't be fulfilled at this point. But still, if I think I will absolutely lose my shit if a, the, the sequel to The Order 1886, The Order 1889... The Order! <laughs> Let's hope so. We can only hope. But no, I still hold that that game is a fantastic game and deserves yeah. to be played by people. It's Awesome. It's a lot of fun. I might play the sequel. There you go. <laughs> Not the original. <laughs> Just totally skip it. Well, that's why I haven't gone back to revisit it because I gave it to you to play. And I had it for like two you years. You had it for those four years. I had it for so long. <laughs> didn't play it. I didn't Just play it. it back. And then I gave it back to you very recently. <laughs> that's Whoops. why I haven't gone back to it. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> It was like that in Killzone. Yeah. I had those two games for years. That was actually another one that I was potentially thinking about doing was oh Killzone, a sequel to Killzone Shadowfall, which was Man. a PS4 launch title. And they, But the thing is with that one, that the reason why I decided that one, again, another great game, but Gorilla is currently, they just, Gorilla made Horizon. Yeah. They're going to focus on they're Horizon 2. They're working on other stuff. They got better stuff You know stuff what I mean? Like they're not, they're not going to revisit. The Killzone series has, I think, five games in it. One, two, three, four. Killzone, Shadowfall, and then Killzone Mercenary that was on PS Vita. There might be a couple other small ones, but I think that was it. But so, anyway, yeah, that was another one that I was potentially thought of doing for this list, too. But no, The Order 1886, it's great. It's fantastic. Well, that concludes our list of games that we hope to eventually have sequels to. Obviously, we would love to hear games that you would like to have a sequel for. So send us an email at teamchatpodcast.com. Comment below on all the different things, social media, all that. Send us a note somehow. We would love to hear from you and hear your picks for this topic. But before we go, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight, which Mogan has prepared for this this week. To close this out thematically, I realize now that it fits fantastically into this episode. Uh, in memoriam of game sequels and prequels that we think will never happen, we're going to send you away with Sorrow Long Day, mm. the ending theme from Evil Zone, composed by Satoshi Miyashita. So we were listening to this earlier, and it's a... It's great. It, like the beginning of the song, it started off, and I said to Mo, I said, this sounds like a water level from Donkey Kong when it starts off. But, but then, then, a like low jazzy saxophone, not jazz, but like a low, like soothing Kenny G style saxophone kicks yeah, off. It's and I'm smooth like, jazz, smooth man. It's yeah, I'm smooth like, jazz. What is this? It, it turns on you in it's an instant. Fantastic. But it's fantastic. Sorrow Long Day. It's a great song. So enjoy that after the close of the episode, which is pretty much now. Until next time, I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Sayonara. We'll see you all next week. Stick around for the song and come back for the next episode on another fun gaming topic. We'll see you then. Yeah.